Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. What do Bob McAdoo, Adrian Dantley, and Ernie DiGregorio all have in common? They each won Rookie of the Year honors while playing for one of the NBA's forgotten teams, the Buffalo Braves. Next on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we'll take a look back at a team that just might have been way ahead of its time, the Buffalo Braves. This is Sports Forgotten Heroes, a tribute to the stars who shape the games we love to watch and the games we love to play. Stars who provided us with many thrills, but when their time was up, they faded away. We'll take a look back at their spectacular careers, their moments of fame, even if it was just for one season or just one game. And now, here's your host, Warren Rogan. Welcome once again to Sports Forgotten Heroes. As the NBA kicks into high gear, and the Los Angeles Clippers begin their 40th season located on the West Coast, I thought it'd be a great time to take a look back on their roots, way back to when they first began play in Buffalo. As the Buffalo Braves, yes, the Clippers have not always called Los Angeles home. In fact, prior to playing in Los Angeles, the Clippers actually played six seasons in San Diego, before finally settling in Los Angeles for the 1985-86 season. Joining me in just a few moments will be Tim Wendell, who is, among other things, an editor at the USA Today and an author of many books, including Buffalo, Home of the Braves. For more information on Tim and the Braves, please visit sportsfh.com. There you can also find past episodes of Sports Forgotten Heroes, information on upcoming podcasts, past guests, and you can learn how to be a part of a future podcast. Submit ideas for future shows. Look for the Sports Forgotten Heroes page on Facebook or follow Sports Forgotten Heroes on Twitter at SportsFHeroes. Also want to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Audible is a great way to enjoy your favorite books, especially when you're on the run. Give it a try, free at www.audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh. The Buffalo Braves have a most colorful history. Born in time for the 1970-71 season, the Braves made the playoffs three times during their eight years in Buffalo. Three times they had the Rookie of the Year, and once they even had the league's MVP. That was Bob McAdoo back in 1976. The men who coach the team also reads like a who's who of NBA coaches. Dolph Shays, Jack Ramsey, and Cotton Fitzsimmons. They even had a player who won the All-Star Game MVP, Randy Smith. And at one time, they could have put a team on the court that had a most formidable front line. Moses Malone, Bob McAdoo, and Adrian Dantley. Yes, the player personnel department could find and develop talent, but ownership just couldn't get a fair deal when it came to finding a place to call home. 
The Braves were far from being the number one tenant at the famed Buffalo Auditorium, also known as the Odd. This was well before the NBA became the juggernaut that it is today. Trying to play as a regional team didn't quite work out either, so after eight years, after selling off its marquee talent and after ownership changes, the Braves packed up and left for San Diego, a city that really didn't fare too well when it came to basketball either. But that's where the team went, and here to tell us more is Tim Wendell. Great to be on with you, Warren. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Hey, let me ask you, where does your interest in the Buffalo Braves come from? I, I'm from that neck of the woods. I'm from Western New York, Warren, even though I was probably more of a hockey fan. But uh-huh. I really enjoyed this team growing up. I went to games in person. Uh, I kind of forgot about them for a while until the idea of um, doing Buffalo Home of the Braves came up. And then I just had such a lot of fun getting in touch with a lot of these guys, Ernie DiGregorio, Bob McAdoo, Randy Smith, when he was alive, et cetera. And I, for a while, in, in a sense, in doing Buffalo Home of the Braves, became the conduit, you know, getting all these guys up to speed on what the other ones were doing. So sure. it ended up being a lot of fun. Yeah, they, they, they left quite a legacy. Talk about the connection between the team and the city from all accounts, even to this day there's still somewhat of a connection there. Well, I think there's still a huge connection, Warren. I was just up there maybe about a month ago. My parents still live up there. And I was walking down Elmwood Avenue in Buffalo with my wife. And I looked across the street and I went, what are they doing? And it was pretty much um, like a sports t-shirt shop, t-shirts and caps. Uh And I went in, and they were selling Braves T-shirts and caps. And that's what had turned my eye. And I ended up talking with the guys. It was, you know, just a local outfit. And they're going, people love the Braves. And then they changed their uniforms at least three times. <laughs> and they sell out all the T-shirts. People still love these T-shirts. So, uh, you know, just the colors and, and then even the backstory on this team is pretty extraordinary. Sure. You know, Tim, I think that professional sports teams and college teams have different types of relationships with the communities in which they're located. And when it comes to the pro team, the bond between a community and the team usually grows stronger when the team wins. Yet the Braves, for the most part, were not a championship caliber team, but the community still loved them. What was it about the Braves? I think it's because when they played, they played a very up, upbeat style of game. I think what you see a lot in terms of the, the NBA now, and maybe even more so a couple of years ago with the way the Phoenix Suns played, et cetera, um, that's the way the Braves played. And it really was a fan-friendly type of game. They went up and down the floor. Everybody could shoot. If you had a shot, you took it. Um, they were called, one of the nicknames they had was the, was the Guns of Navarone hmm. because they always hmm. shot. And, and they played a very fast-paced game. And uh, it was funny, before coming on today, I was looking through some of my favorite games with them, and I believe they were playing the Celtics in a regular season game, and they scored 58 points in one quarter wow. and yet still lost the game. <laughs> so um, that, that kind of summed them up. And you had, had some guys playing 
somewhat out of position. You could argue Bob McAdoo maybe was out of position playing center, et cetera. But it's interesting, certainly with Dr. Jack Ramsey, their longtime coach, how all of them, you know, the ones especially went on and became Hall of Famers and really made their mark in the game. They not only think very uh, fondly of their days in Buffalo, and the team was only there eight seasons, right? but they also will point out, I learned either something about the game or and or I learned something valuable about myself and how I had to play this game, or in the, in the case of Dr. Jack, how he had to coach the game. Wow. And so um, it was very much kind of a laboratory of – you know, how basketball could be played. Some of it didn't work all that well. If you score 58 points in a quarter and yeah. lose the game, but other, uh, other things worked out really well. And I think it was uh, just the fact that all of them fondly think of those days and just all of them remember specific games and, you know, just how that team could score was just phenomenal. Seems like a really fun time. And, and you had mentioned some of the guys who had played for them and, you know, like Bob McAdoo, and they had Adrian Dantley, too. I mean, these guys could score. Who were some of the early stars of the Buffalo Braves? Well, I think one of my favorites, Ward, is Randy Smith, because mm-hmm. he kind of typified he typified what the, what the team was or what they could be, but he also typified the link between the Braves and the Buffalo community and Western New York. I mean, Randy Smith, the only reason he got drafted by the Braves is they had messed up the year before and had not drafted Calvin Murphy, who mm-hmm. was an All-American at Niagara. And if they'd done that, if they drafted Murphy, I would almost wager that team would still be there because he was such a hometown favorite. Eddie Donovan, the GM, just kind of said, nah, I think the guy's too short. And they drafted a guy named John, John Hummer out of Princeton instead, who really <laughs> never came to fruition. And, of course, Murphy went on to be a, a Hall of Famer himself. And so Smith gets the chance now the next year coming out of Buff State, where he was known more as a soccer star. And he got the chance to be drafted in the later rounds by the Braves simply because Donovan said, okay, I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear that I've passed over some local favorite star. I'll take this guy, Randy Smith. And Randy Smith made himself into this extraordinary player, was arguably the fastest guy in the NBA for many years running, and ended up with an Ironman streak and ended up being an all-star, an all-star MVP, et cetera. And, uh, and I think that's when things started to turn. And then in quick succession comes Bob McAdoo, uh, Ernie D. Gregorio, etc. And sometimes if you look back on that team and you go, if they had just hung on to half of the guys that they had, they would have they would have been, you know, an amazing team. It was McAdoo when I went to interview him for Buffalo Home of the Braves, who pointed out to me, and I'd kind of forgotten, even though I was at one of um the games, he pointed out that for about almost three weeks, two and a half weeks, the Braves had potentially a front line of Bob McAdoo, Adrian Dantley, and Moses Malone. Wow. 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 I think some things could have happened there. And, you know, they gave up on, they traded away Malone within a couple 
within weeks uh, because he wanted more playing time and he probably deserved it, et cetera, et cetera. So in some ways, I, I see kind of the Braves being the harbinger for kind of the owner that tinkers too much or the owner who doesn't know what he's doing or owners in this case, perhaps. Right. And um, in a sense, gives up too early on some things that kind of fall into his lap. And certainly, gosh, can you imagine a team with Malone as their center? Malone becomes an all-star two sure. years later after being cut loose. And uh, But the players knew it, and they knew what a revolving door it was becoming and how, unfortunately, it was to the detriment of the team. Wow, what a shame. Just think about that. Hey, let's go back to the beginning. Why did the NBA decide to expand and, and, and place a team in Buffalo as opposed to a Minneapolis or a Miami, which were cities that were also wanting teams at that time? You know, I'm not entirely sure, but Buffalo at that point in time, I mean, now Buffalo is about, what, about the 50th biggest media market, 48th, something like that, in the country. Back then, though, it was certainly in the top 20 and was known for between the Bills and how quickly the Sabres season mm-hmm. tickets, you know, sold out for having a very, and still, still does in many ways, a very uh, rabid fan base. And so I think the NBA somewhat went in that direction. And you look at the teams they kind of came in with. They came in with Portland and they came in with Cleveland. Right. And at that point in time, you'd almost make an argument against almost any of them and maybe in favor of Minneapolis or Miami, et cetera. But they went with those three and um, all those franchises more or less struggled kind of early on. But I would argue that certainly Portland and maybe later on Cleveland ended up with much more solid ownership and that that's what paid off for them. So, um, you know, we're talking about a period of time, roughly early eighties, late, late 70s, where Buffalo almost got a Major League Baseball franchise. So you're, wow. you're kind of going, it wasn't that much of a leap, even though now, you know, certainly with, uh, you know, the way the steel mills and the economy has gone downhill up there, even though it's coming back now, um, it, it, it seems kind of a curious choice. But at that point in time, and also I think the other thing, and unfortunately it hurt the Braves and trying to get major, you know, quality dates at the only arena in town, the sure. old odd. This was the last of kind of the big three in college basketball, which was Niagara, St. Bonaventure, and Canisius. And they regularly put teams in contention for the NCAA. We're talking St. Bonaventure with Buffalo Bob Lanier had made the final four and arguably put a water if Lanier hadn't hurt his knee. So it was really seen as a basketball hotbed, and it's kind of curious now to think of Niagara and St. Bonaventure, even certainly Canisius, as major college powerhouses. But you got to remember, this was again before the Big East comes around, etc. And um, and and they they certainly could play the game. And you mentioned Bob Lanier, and that's a guy that Buffalo sort of had hoped that they could somehow get but the nba really didn't do uh portland (laughs) cleveland or buffalo any favors in that first draft and where they placed them so they didn't get the first pick or the second pick they got 
they were slotted later in the draft. So none of the teams had a shot at getting Lanier. And then, like you said, Buffalo passed up Calvin Murphy. They passed up Tiny Archibald. Um, It could have been different had they gotten a Lanier or had they had the foresight to take a Murphy. And we could be still talking about a team in Buffalo. Very much so. And, and this is kind of the thing people forget and kind of shows how the NBA was run at that point in time that, okay, you're bringing in some expansion teams that they're not going to get the first pick from right. the draft. Going, right. Okay, that's interesting. And then even later on, if you want to jump in, not that far, but eight years as the, as the Braves, in a sense, are being traded, <laughs> franchise being traded in, in one of the most arcane moves ever where in a sense the Braves and the Boston Celtics were in a sense traded for each other. Um, part of that whole deal was that the, 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 the new Braves or the old Celtics, whatever you want to call them, in essence, the Celtics hung on to the draft pick that became Larry Bird. Wow. And, and again, you start going, Whoa, hang on. If that had worked out the way maybe it should have on paper, then, you know, the old Braves, or I guess at that point were becoming the Clippers would have had Bird, but everything was, um, it, it was, it was a different time. You know, when we're talking about, I mean, even the NBA finals were on tape delay and right. this type of thing. Right. So, you know, it was kind of a couple very well run, but kind of juggernaut franchises and the Celtics and, uh, Milwaukee with Jabbar, et cetera, Lakers, certainly they kind of ruled the roost. And if you were coming in and joining this party at that point in time, you weren't cut a lot of slack. And this, but the city, the city of Buffalo loved this team, but as you had said earlier, they did not get, or they were competing with the Sabres. They were competing with the big three, particularly Canisius at the odd. And when this team came about, they did not get much in the way of any desirable dates at the odd. How no, much of an effect all. did that have on the success of the Buffalo Braves in Buffalo? I think what it did was kind of plant the seeds for its demise, especially when they had to, when they reached an agreement, things were getting shaky roughly about halfway through their existence, you know, like the fourth year in, where they signed, a new lease was signed, but pretty much it had to be, I, I believe the, the barometer was 5000 a year in season tickets. Mm. That's a little tough if you're not getting some prime dates. Sure. They, they played a lot on Friday nights, but that's tough. A lot of Saturday nights were for big three basketball, notably Canisius. The Sabres, the new hockey team, which came in at the same time, had Sundays kind of locked up. And it put them between a rock and a hard place. I, I think, though, if you see what the Braves started to do, and then with owner Paul Snyder, if they played it out a little bit more, hmm, it may have worked out for them because they couldn't get their pick of dates at the old odd in Buffalo. So they started playing some games in Toronto. Right. I, I, you, you talk to Raptors fans and Raptors people now, that, that starts the whole wave to put the NBA into Toronto. They also played in Rochester. They also played as far away as Syracuse. They really tried to, as much as they could, make themselves a regional team. Sure. But I don't think they gave it enough time, and they never quite had the chance, especially when you're talking with a U.S. 
Canadian border to get a regional TV package. Now you look at baseball and other things. I mean, it's all regional TV. They were about 20, 25 years, maybe ahead of their time and didn't really see it through. And speaking of regional, they even tried part, partially with their management team, the coach being Dolph Shays, to draw in from the region. How did Dolph work out with Buffalo? Uh, you know, he wasn't, it didn't quite work out. I mean, it pretty much lasted a season. And, and I think you were right. It was more the name they were right. looking for. And I, I always, I just thought Dolph Shays was a great player. And, you know, I went, I went to Syracuse undergrad. So I always have a, a little bit of a soft spot in my heart for him and his, and his son, Danny Shays, who played at Syracuse. But this was a different world, especially it was the hurly burly of the NBA and especially the, not only the players that were coming in, say from college, but also in a sense, maybe what you had to do from a strategic standpoint to put a competitive team on the floor. And, and it wasn't until they got Dr. Jack Ramsey in pretty much at the end of their third year that they started to take off. Now the talent had gone up because you've got right. McAdoo winning the rookie of the year award followed by Ernie DiGregorio winning the rookie of the year award and then here comes adrian dantley three rookies of the year in eight years that's pretty good um but jack ramsey and and i did one of the last interviews with dr jack and and i got to know his son chris ramsey who's at espn pretty well and one one of the things in doing buffalo home of the braves that and that really bore out in talking with dr jack was here was a guy who had a certain way of doing things but he would change it, he would alter it, depending upon his talent. And it's specifically with Bob McAdoo. McAdoo comes in as a scoring star from the University of North Carolina, who the Braves somehow land. It looked like he was going to go to the old ABA at first. Mm-hmm. And he comes on board, and at first, for just a little while, Dr. Jack is a little bit resistant of putting McAdoo at the center spot. He's not your prototypical center at right. all. right. But they do, and he kind of alters the lineup, um, gets some good, strong rebounding, strong forward like Garford, um, gets some other shooters in like Jack Marin, tells like Randy Smith and Ernie Dees starting backcourt at that time, okay, pick up the pace. You know, I want to beat the defense down, and, and, and it worked. And I think, you know, this is what makes, um, Bob McAdoo into the Hall of Famer he becomes because he's pretty much um, a kid who grew up in the rural part of North Carolina, had only been at North Carolina at the university a couple of years. Even though he had played for Dean Smith, he, he needed to learn a lot more. And as he told me, this was the best place for me. You know, I ended up with a great coach with Jack Ramsey, I ended up with a great backcourt. And guys like Ernie D and Randy Smith who'd get me the ball. We're playing this type of style I want to play. And um, whoosh, it took off. And, and that's something I always give Ramsey credit for. Is here, he's got a guy who's probably a much better, obviously, forward. He doesn't really have a center, especially after they traded Elmore Smith. Mm-hmm. But he makes the move. And yet, one of the last questions I remember asking Ramsey was, what did you learn from your time in Buffalo? And he just kind of smiled and he said, the importance of a big man at center. Wow. And then you look what he goes on to do at Portland, Portland Maurice with Maurice Lucas and Bill Walton. Right. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. 
yeah, you know, Buffalo had stars, you know, like you said, Dantley, McAdoo, DiGregorio, Randy Smith, and they had a great coach, Jack Ramsey. So this team is starting to build, and management had this championship pedigree beginning with Eddie Donovan, who had just won with the Knicks. So they're starting to put everything together. And in Ramsey's second year, the Braves' fourth year of existence, he leads the team to its first playoff appearance. It was a good time to be a Braves fan, even if you lived in Toronto, you know, talking about a regional team they were playing there. Tell me about the excitement around that 73-74 season and the Braves finally making the playoffs. Oh, it just went through the roof for it. It was a lot, a lot of fun. And I can remember, I think I went to one or two playoff games. I was just in high school or something. And But one of the things I look back upon is they only won, they made the playoffs three straight years, starting that year and then pretty much through the tenure that, that Ramsey's with them. And they always kind of ran into a buzzsaw. <laughs> and they, they, they did beat, now the second year, I believe, they did beat the 76ers in a great, you know, 76ers and Dr. J. And, man, you talk about you know, classic games. And that was but back when they, it was a three-game series, and they, they beat right. the Sixers <laughs> two games to one. Yeah, and then just just epic games. Oh, Daryl Dawkins, all this stuff. And um, and yet, if you look at it, because I went through and kind of looked it up today, and uh, that first year, 73-74, first appearance in the playoffs, they lose to the Celtics in, in six games. Controversial ending, too, uh, to that. Um, they felt, the Braves had felt they had forced the seventh game, and the refereeing toward the end was a little interesting. Hmm. Celtics go on to win it all. Next year, you know, beat the 76ers, but then lose next round to the Washington Bullets in seven games. Bullets had Elvin Hayes. Wow, that was another great one. Bullets don't win at all, but they go all the way to the final. Next year, 75-76, they lose to the Celtics again. Right. Six. Can't get past the Celtics, and the Celtics win it all. And you kind of go, hmm. You kind of wonder, you know, everything's matchups as we hear. What would have happened if they'd been able to go a little bit farther in the playoffs? That, does that even create more energy in the city? Or, maybe more importantly, does it create more patience and, um, you know, ability to see things through from an ownership standpoint? Because you're right. I think the front office was pretty solid, obviously, with Eddie Donovan. I mean, you, you know, Calvin Murphy was a mistake passing on him. but. Um, Fan base, pretty good. Stars are coming in. It's where ownership, where things kind of went off the track. That series against the Celtics went like this. In game one, Boston down Buffalo 107 to 98. And Boston beat Buffalo again in game two, 101 to 96, despite 40 points from McAdoo. Game three was played in Buffalo, and the Braves didn't disappoint. Randy Smith poured in 29 points to lead all scorers as Buffalo won the game 98-93, and then they evened the series at two games apiece behind McAdoo's 30 points. But Boston proved to be too much, winning Game 5 99-88 and Game 6 104-100, dashing Buffalo's hopes of a trip to the NBA Finals. In that series, McAdoo led all scorers with a points-per-game average of 26.8, but it just wasn't enough. 
Despite this being perhaps the greatest season in Buffalo Braves history, it also was the beginning of the end. Now, before we get there, you know, research for sports forgotten heroes requires a lot of reading. And now I'm able to do research by downloading books from Audible. In fact, for you, listeners of Sports Forgotten Heroes, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Over 180,000 titles available from history to fiction to sports and more. Give Audible a try. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh. Again, that's audibletrial.com backslash sportsfh for your free audiobook. Hey, if you're like me and always on the run and want to read without carrying around a big book, Audible is great. Give it a try. It's free. In fact, right now I'm listening to a book about Tim Richmond, and I hope to be able to bring you a show about Tim early next year. Now, once again, a look back at one of the NBA's forgotten teams, the Buffalo Braves, and the beginning of the end. It's an interesting thing. The 75-76 season was perhaps Buffalo's best season. They go 46-36, and but that's really where it all ends. Jack Ramsey leaves for the Trailblazers. The ABA folds. Four teams are taken in by the NBA, the Nets, the Pacers, the Nuggets, the Spurs, and Buffalo was ultimately purchased by the former owner of the Kentucky Colonels, John Brown. Tell me about the glory of the 75-76 season and the disappointment that followed afterwards and how Brown gets his hands on the Braves. Ooh. Um, pretty much, you know, a lot of people fault, even though he wasn't the first owner, Paul Snyder, who was like a local Buffalo Buffalo businessman, made his money with Freezer Queen, kind of a very much a self-made guy. Um, I, I wish in some ways he would have stuck it out as the owner. Now, he thought, he tried to treat the Braves kind of as a regular business. I should be making all this money not realizing, well, you're kind of playing a long game here, so to speak. Um, you're just trying to, you know, build up the, the quality of your franchise. Mm-hmm. He sold, uh, in a sense, as that season concludes, um, he sells 50% of the team to John Y. Brown out of Kentucky. And this is where the worm starts to turn. And the basketball guys sensed it within the, Braves organization pretty fast. Ramsey is is gone at that point, mm-hmm. and um, you know he's you know he's a savvy guy. He's doing his homework. Uh, Eddie Donovan is pretty much soon gone, and um, unfortunately, the deal the way it was set up is Brown and Snyder was a fifty fifty split, at least at first. But John Y. Brown had the option of buying out Paul Snyder which he would soon do. And also with a 50-50 split, unfortunately, and probably with Snyder just kind of losing patience with the situation, but it was also John Y. Brown saying, hang on, I used to run the Kentucky Colonels. I know what I'm doing, you know, when it comes to player development and player trades and personnel. Mm-hmm. And so he got his handles on the controls of the franchise. And in pretty short order, 
um, some of the major stars are leaving town, mostly, most notably Bob McAdoo, which happens um, roughly halfway through the following season. In fact, I remember talking to both Randy Smith and Bob McAdoo, and this is before cell phones and everything. It was around the Christmas holidays, and they were up in Toronto shopping at the Eaton Center, which was Mm -hmm. the place to go shopping, when suddenly McAdoo was being paged, you know, on the public address system. Mm -hmm. And um, Smith and McAdoo both kind of look at each other, that can't be good. And he takes the call, finds out what's going on, and comes back to Smith, and he's just, McAdoo's got this distraught look on his face. And Smith goes, what's wrong? He thought maybe there's a death in the family or something like that. And McAdoo says, John, why did it? He, in a sense, traded me, even though it was a sale, uh, to the New York Knicks. Wow. I'm gone. Wow. And, and and so many of the deals, if you look back on them, there wasn't a lot coming back to the Braves. It was a lot of lot more of cash to help out the bottom line wow. and at that point it was kitty bar the door and um poor randy smith who ended up becoming kind of the last brave and uh was very much as he told me he said i couldn't keep track of who is on that team in fact he would go even go down sometimes and uh purchase a program because he couldn't tell the players that he was playing with anymore because that's how much a revolving door it had become. And then John Y. Brown, you know, in a couple of years kind of throws up his hands and sells, you know, in a sense gets about a hundred percent back. It's, um, then sells 50% to a Florida businessman. And then we start down the road, which leads us to pretty much John Y. Brown and, uh, the Celtics owner pretty much swapping franchises. And why and did the guy, they do that? Why, why, I, that's, I, I don't understand how that one happened. They wanted to do it because, um, uh, Irving Levine wanted a team. He was not from the West coast and he then at that point bought in and got 50% or he had the Celtics. And he wanted a team on the West Coast. At that point, John Y. Brown, the famous quote about, in a sense, being the owner in Buffalo, said it's not fun anymore. And so he was looking to get out. Hmm. And they started this whole swap of pretty much almost the entire roster for the other roster. And like I say, the the Celtics, which in my mind are the old Braves, <laughs> retain the draft pick to Larry Bird. And it's, I think, one of the most bait-and-switch, convoluted deals ever done in sports, period. And and the wow. guy that is the master behind the curtain, the man behind the curtain, which people forget about, was then a young lawyer named David Stern. And wow. he was the one who facilitated it all. And it was pretty much... You know, then wanting a team that becomes the Clippers out on the West Coast, John Y. Brown looking to have some more grins and giggles, but let's move it over to Boston and wow, look at all those championship banners. And and if that means, in a sense, trading pretty much almost one whole roster for another, then we'll do it. The guy who kind of gets spit out one end of this is Randy Smith, who ends up going West with now the Clippers. And, um, I remember talking with him for Buffalo Home of the Braves about this whole situation. And at one point in time, for about a month, Warren, he was still getting checks. He was getting checks from the Braves, the Celtics, 
and now the Clippers. <laughs> and as he said, I ran down to the bank as fast as I could to cash <laughs> yeah, those checks. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't have been a bad thing. <laughs> no, because he wasn't sure, what, what, you know, because even to him, you know, he was the guy right in the middle of it and uh, ended up becoming a star for the Clippers after being a long-time star for the Braves. So it's, I think it's one of the most bizarre trades and why the media – didn't really call it out a little bit more. I don't know. Maybe more importantly, I don't know why the city of Buffalo didn't sue because I think they would have had real grounds to do so. But Chan Y. Brown got away with it. What were the fans of Buffalo thinking at this time as all this is happening? They got to be scratching their heads going, um, are we still going to have a team? Yeah. Well, it's not only a team, but one of the things John Y. Brown did was, um, you really, I think, uh, I can't say if this was on purpose, but he kind of kind of poisoned the well for fans. You know, just think of it. There goes Bob McAdoo. Yeah. You know, there goes, um, wow, there goes Gar Hurd. There goes Jack Marin. I mean, all these guys that have been very close to doing well in the playoffs have gone toe-to-toe with championship teams. And suddenly one after the other, they're being shown the door. And the tr- for trades that it doesn't take a genius to figure out were lopsided at best. Right. And was he doing that on purpose? I don't know. I think part of it was John Y. Brown knew the old ABA. And it used to be a joke, especially like the last two, three years certainly the last two years of the Braves' existence in Buffalo, oh, suddenly somebody became available who had played in the ABA. Oh, they're probably going to come here, and we're going to lose, in a sense, uh, Hmm. another star. That said, they almost had one last chance at being, I want to say a championship team or even a contending team, but at least a respectable team. We're now kind of coming into the last season. And you brought up his name just a little while ago. Uh, Nate Tiny Archibald, mm-hmm. who comes to town, is brought in in one of these very convoluted trades, and Swen Nader is the center. You know, okay, not yeah. bad. Yeah. And there's some other guys filling things out, and then unfortunately, um, I don't remember if it was preseason or right in the first part of the, the season, but uh, Tiny Tiny Archibald tears up his knee, and that's that's in a sense the end of that team. I mean, there, there's a great photograph uh, we have in Buffalo home of the Braves of uh, pretty much Swen Nader, you know, tiny Archibald in the arms of Swen Nader being right. carried off the floor. And at that point it's done. And, oh. uh, oh, wow. What, what was the final, what was the final daggers, so to speak, where, all right, the Braves are moving to San Diego. What was the final, the, the, the nail in the coffin on the Braves, and the move to San Diego, how did it come about? Oh, I think there's several. I think there's Tiny Archibald's injury. It's just the fact that, um, you know, you're talking about a team that won 20 or 22 games in its first couple seasons, which is to be expected as, a, as an expansion team, but was now back in that same win-loss column to a certain degree. Was there the fan crowd, apathy? Yeah, was there fan apathy at that point? Yeah, but, and and you know the the crowds are becoming less. Um, still, it was great to go to the old odd, and here comes Will Chamberlain coming into town, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, etc. But now the Braves were competitive, and just think how what a roller coaster ride that was, Warren. Yeah. I mean, 
you know, expansion, first couple of years, start to get respectable. Third years, now you're in the playoffs for three years, and now you're, a, you know, you're kind of a laughing stock again. Not so much maybe for what the team was trying to do on the floor, because I think Cotton Fitzsimmons was one of their coaches. He was a good coach. But just for, you know, people fall in love with players. I mean, this is what the NBA figured out soon after the Braves leave Buffalo. Is it's not so much I'm cheering for the L.A. Lakers. I'm cheering for Magic Johnson. Right. It's not so much I'm cheering for the Boston Celtics. I'm cheering for Larry Bird and Kevin McHale. Right. And, and to see those major stars just kind of be shown the door for a pittance was, was tough. Because I think uh, Buffalo fans have always been very astute. I mean, they, they know they know what's going on. And so, um, and they don't like to be played for fools. And so the crowds start becoming smaller. And, and frankly, there was a, maybe a growing part of the Buffalo community that when the Braves did leave town said kind of good riddance. Hmm. And I think um, it wasn't until maybe a little bit of time had gone by that they realized what a major asset they had lost or what had been stolen away from them. And that, again, that goes back to me saying, I bet you if that happened today, it'd be lawsuit city. And, um, wow. you know, the, the lawyers would have rolled out and gone to town, but, um, you know, they were an epic team. I, I, I still think they were one of the most star crossed franchises, certainly in basketball, maybe in all sports ever, I've, I've ever come across. And I think sometimes the perception is so, you know, interesting. I can remember what McAdoo was on with, um, he was being interviewed on ESPN a couple of years ago. And, and I forgot who was interviewing, but it said pretty much, it must've been tough being stuck in Buffalo for those years. And you guys, you know, weren't all that good. And he just got interrupted and said, not all that good. We were real good. Yeah. You know, you had to go back and do your homework. You know, in a sense, we were playing the way the NBA became. And then you, you think about it, if that team is able to stay in Buffalo, then all the financial windfall, say, especially after David Stern becomes commissioner, comes to fruition, oh, they can start being, you know, a major part of that. You know, certainly we have a team in Oklahoma City. I think we could still yeah. have a team in Buffalo. And maybe Canadian fans are coming across the border to see see them play instead of vice versa. Sure, and and like you said, they had they had a lot of stars. I got to ask you this: Why San Diego? I mean, the NBA failed there <laughs> earlier, right? You had the Houston Rockets, who were the originally they were originally the San Diego Rockets. They leave San Diego and go to Houston. The ABA tried with the San Diego Conquistadors. And now Buffalo's going to go out to San Diego. They're only there a couple of years before they move up to L.A. What was it yeah. about San Diego? Why San Diego? I think it was simply this businessman, Irving Levin, was West Coast-based and uh, and wanted a team out in his neck of the woods. Because you're absolutely right. Track record for San Diego wasn't any great shakes for, for, pro, for uh, professional basketball. And... Uh, and again, you talk to somebody like Randy Smith, who lived it all, you know, starting with the second year and then going on to, you know, through the franchise swap and ending out in San Diego. Um, I asked him one time, doing Buffalo home with the Braves, what'd you think? You know, suddenly you're out in San Diego. 
He said, I missed Buffalo. You know, I miss being <laughs> around fans that knew the game, and I miss the old Braves, you know, with the way, you know, no, uh, you know, they could overcome any lead and can shock any team and throw a scare into anybody. So um, it's, it's uh, yeah, some things, it's, it's funny. I mean, now the NBA is so so dialed up and so classy and so professionally run, you kind of forget how seat of the pants it was, certainly in the 70s. Sure. How has the legacy of the Braves grown since they left? You said when they first left, uh, the fans were sort of like good riddance. The players who played for the Buffalo Braves loved them. Why has the legacy grown? And why do the Braves not get the same notoriety as other teams who have left their cities? I'm not sure on that last one. Um, I think they deserve more notoriety, but, you know, I think now Buffalo is perceived as a much smaller market perceived as a hockey town. I mean, the Sabres kind of rule the roost and right. if the bills ever get good again, but I think I was amazed and, doing the interviews and uh, for Buffalo and the Braves. I, I love talking with the old players about Buffalo because they all would, it starts to smile and just go, hmm. oh, we had a great team, you know? And, and it's almost like, it's almost a little bit of a secret that they all kind of share. And um, it was funny. My, my son played basketball for a while and, you know, he's out of college now and all that. But for some reason we had, with I must have been in the ESPN Classic one day, and we're just channel surfing. We came across the game where McAdoo scores like 52 or 56 <laughs> points, and and we're just watching it, and he's just going, "Wow, these guys could play." Yeah, like, yeah, they could play, yeah. and um, and and again, they played. It, it's almost sometimes when they run into say a team that was playing more of a center driven game or a slower game, you know, here, here's the, here's the new wave of the way the NBA plays. I mean, you know, the way the NBA plays now is, I think you can link a lot of it back to the way the Braves used to play. And I certainly, some of the guys who McAdoo being notable, but who got into coaching and such, they brought this along and it was like, you know, push the ball down the floor. Everybody can shoot, you know, take the shot crash the boards, et cetera. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, a, it was just a fun, fun style to play. And I think, uh, but it's funny. I think when they came out with those retro jerseys, the NBA did yeah. a couple of years ago, Yeah, I don't, I don't want to say the Braves are the number one sellers, but they were in the top three. Wow. So there's kind of this underground acknowledgement that, yeah, these guys knew what they were doing. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Hey, you know, a few years ago, well, several years ago, you wrote that book, Buffalo, Home of the Braves. It's a tough book to get a hold of. If somebody wanted to get a hold of that book, how do they do it? Just go to Amazon, Warren. I think Amazon's the best way. We've got a couple, you know, kind of distributors that, that put it in. It, it's one reason it's a, a little bit difficult book you're not going to really find it at your local bookstore. Right. Um, but go Amazon. And in part, we've, we ended up with a whole slew of great photographs uh, from that era. We pretty much got 
in league with a guy who was the team photographer for the Braves pretty much for their whole existence. And once that happened, um, it, it turned into a different type of book, and it became, you know, a more difficult book maybe to get a hold of, maybe arguably a little bit more, um, you know, high cost book. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to put in as many photos as we could, so it became more of a coffee table book, which wasn't my idea at first. But um, my brother Chris had a major hand in this, and etc. And once we got those photographs and I remember we still spreading them out on this big table. Must have been so much fun. Going, geez, we gotta use these things. And most (laughs) books have like a sixteen page photo insert in the middle. And we just said, no, we gotta go in a different direction. And that and at that point, once you once you kind of decided that, you know, you kind of said to a major publisher or something, no, we're going to do it our way. (laughs) You know, at that point it becomes, it becomes your own gig, but Amazon people should have no problem, you know, getting it. They can look it up under my last name, Wendell, W-E-N-D-E-L, or just the title Buffalo home of the Braves. And one of the things I love about that book is um, the covers, Randy Smith. And, um, you know, it's, it's very much, um, you know, a shaded cover, you know, backdrop, that type of thing. And, um, and I, I still think it pops and some people have even, you know, we did kind of a limited edition for a while as a poster. Maybe we should do that again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and because I think in a lot of ways, you know, despite McAdoo and Ernie D, he kind of typified the whole ride. Tim, if somebody said to you, tell me one thing about the Buffalo Braves, what would that one thing be? What is the one great thing that people should take away about the Buffalo Braves? Hmm. That they were the future. Hmm. And unfortunately, weren't able to reap the benefits of that. Again, you know, this, this was a team that had a lot of holes. I mean, didn't really have, for a while, great centers or times in it. And certainly made didn't play defense made the way you expect the championship team too, but they were so much fun. Yeah. And, 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 and they were like one of those teams that, Oh, we're down by 20 going into the midway through the third quarter. Well, some teams like, okay, let's go home. You know, we got to get to the parking lot. This team, you never, when they, when they were in their heyday, you never turned away because you might miss something that, you know, you could be talking about for weeks afterwards. It could be an Ernie D, you know, behind the back pass, like almost the length of the court. It could be Randy Smith somehow outrunning the whole entire team, a one-on-four and scoring. It could be Bob McAdoo hitting like, oh, he's hitting now six straight shots on the floor. Oh, he's hit seven. He's at eight. You know, he's hotter than hot. It looks like he's playing his own personal game of horse out there, etc. And, um, I think those are the things that they were just so mesmerizing in that way, even though you can see the wars, but maybe that that endeared them to to fans in their own way. But you couldn't turn away because right. you, you would just go, I might miss something that I may not see again for a long time. Just a fun, fun team to watch. Hey, Tim, finally, I know you're working on a passion project right now. Tell our listeners about it. Oh, you mean the 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 new book that's coming out, um, it's yeah. kind of got a Buffalo background to it. And some people, well, anyway, it's called the cancer crossings. And, uh, the subtitle is a brother 
his doctors and the cure to uh, the quest to cure childhood leukemia. And I had a brother, roughly not too much after this whole era we're talking about, died of childhood leukemia. And it wasn't until my daughter, who's now a doctor herself, pointed out, you know, during that period of time, that's when they took childhood leukemia from roughly a 15% survival rate to a 90% survival wow. rate. They talk about cancer moonshots. We've had one, and it was childhood leukemia. So I tracked down all the doctors from that era. And um, and and it's interesting because I, I, Warren, I love teams and I love organizations, especially when they kind of come together and they're looking out for each other and and just clicking, for lack of a better term. And in a lot of ways, you know, I, I loved writing about the Braves. I've written about the 68 Tigers and St. Louis Cardinals have done several baseball books. But this group of doctors is probably one of the most close-knit teams that I've ever come across. Awesome. Well, when that book comes out, I'll be uh, one of the first online to get it. Tim, thank you so much for joining me on Sports Forgotten Heroes. I hope you would consider coming back again. Oh, for sure, Warren. This is a lot of fun. Count me in. Awesome. Thanks again. In their first ever game, the Braves, playing host to another expansion team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, won 107-92. They then proceeded to lose their next nine games and went 22 and 60 overall. The Braves followed that season by going 22 and 60 again in 1971-72 and then 21 and 61 in the 72-73 season. But that was the beginning of a few special years. McAdoo won Rookie of the Year honors, averaging 18 points per game to go along with 9.1 rebounds per game. The following year, 73-74, the Braves added Ernie DiGregorio, who wound up winning Rookie of the Year honors. Buffalo finished the year at 42-40, made the playoffs for the first time, were tied two games apiece with the Boston Celtics in a best of seven, but wound up losing the series four games to two. Buffalo made the playoffs each of the following two years and were then purchased by John Y. Brown, who previously had owned the Kentucky Colonels of the ABA. And the honeymoon between Buffalo and its Braves ended shortly thereafter, as Brown sold the team to Irvin Levine. Well, actually, they swapped franchises. Brown getting the Celtics and Levine the Braves, who he promptly moved to San Diego following the 77-78 season. Levine from California wanted to move the Celtics west. Of course, the NBA would have none of that, so the arrangement between Brown and Levine happened, and Levine took the Braves out west, and Brown took over the Celtics. As the years have passed, the history of the Buffalo Braves has faded, but there are several people who continue to try to keep that history alive. And as Wendell mentioned early on, Braves paraphernalia is a hot commodity. The love affair between the city and the team has grown, and there are many who think, had the Braves been able to make it two or three more years, Buffalo would be home to a championship NBA franchise. For more on the Buffalo Braves, check out Tim's book, Buffalo, Home of the Braves. I also have links to Braves information on sportsfh.com. Next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes, we'll take a look back on the career of one of pro football's most underrated and forgotten quarterbacks, a Hall of Famer, Bob Waterfield. 
Again, thank you to today's guest, Tim Wendell, and we'll see you next time on Sports Forgotten Heroes.